Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Beware the Board, a horror podcast where we watch a randomly selected horror movie every single week. I'm Bob. I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. What's up? Nothing much. How about you? I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't tell by the um the dichotomy between how loud we are and how energetic we seem, Ben's very tired and I'm ready to go. Oh, that's gonna be the new uh the new usual for this season. Ben, it's always been the Maybe usual. Maybe next season. I don't know. Sometimes I'm not tired. Sometimes. But Occasionally. School started up again. Yeah. And my Aren't you taking like a bajillion classes? Not really, but my schedule's just horrific. Yeah. Well, like, we work nights, so it's like... Meh. I know. My Tuesday goes from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Yeah, how are you going to do that? When you What time do you normally start How? Work? I am doing that. Like, you start working normally like, what, 9 or 10? Yes. When do you and sleep? And I usually have to leave for work at, like, 8. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to hear that, Ben. And I get home at, like, 4, 4.30, so... You don't could sleep for a couple hours somewhere in <laughs> I there. I don't really sleep on Tuesday. Mm. That's tragic. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, Damn. you know, we do be doing, though. <laughs> what are you, Scooby-Doo? We do be do be do. Oh, my God. You know what? I, it's Okay, this is completely unrelated to your life struggles and everything. We talk about Scooby-Doo so much on this show. I like Scooby-Doo. No, but I hadn't thought about it until very recently. <laughs> I've edited a couple of episodes very recently that we just mentioned Scooby-Doo on. Like, I think it was like Pumpkinhead, Mystery of the Wax Museum. Ridiculous. I don't know about We should you. cover Scooby-Doo. I we should up- watch the Scooby-Doo movies. <laughs> I grew up with a lot of it, especially the the late 90s Scooby-Doo movies. Yeah, um, me too. From that, I think it's a Korean studio. Is with, it? Like Zombie Island. Oh, Zombie Island is so good. Um, what else? Uh, there's the one with the Hex Girls. Yeah, and then there's the one in Cyberspace. Cyber Chase. Yeah, is it called Cyber Chase? I, I couldn't remember. Cyber Chase. I had the Game Boy Advance. The Witch's Curse is the one with the Hex Girls originally. I yeah. Believe. Anyways, the ones where it's like actual kid entry to horror. Mm-hmm. We should totally watch Scooby Doo for the podcast. Maybe eventually. I would love that. We can put on the live action Scooby Doo. That's what we're talking about. Let's watch the live action one. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. That'd be weird, but maybe. <laughs> Anyways. Getting off topic, uh, I think this is the section where we normally do kind of our news. Yeah, do you have any news, Ben? Yeah, but do you want to go first? I have a long list of stuff. Yeah, why don't you go first? Okay, we'll start with my stuff. This is semi-relevant to the podcast because, A, it's horror news, but B... It's Bob news, which is always semi-relevant to the podcast. Of course, but also, it's relevant to one of our categories this season. Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is a very famous Universal Monster film is getting a comic book series from Robert Kirkman's comic studio, Skybound Entertainment. If you don't know who Robert Kirkman is, he's very famous. He uh, does stuff. Yeah, very famous comic <laughs> writer. Uh, he wrote Invincible, which has an Amazon Prime show. He wrote The Walking Dead. He has a bunch of other comics. He has his own studio now. But they're doing a four-issue limited run of A Creature from Black Lagoon, Black Lagoon comic. First issue drops April 24th, 2024. So if you're a comic fan and a horror fan, look out for that. It actually, I saw the covers for some of the issues. It looks fucking cool. We've never seen that movie on the podcast. I mean, the creature's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Like, I, if we watch that this season, I might pick up the comic when it drops and get all four issues because it's pretty rad. Next thing, this is also semi-relevant to the podcast because you were, if you've been here since the beginning, you know our first season, we had spiders as one of our first categories. That was our first movie. Our first movie, movie was a spider movie, yeah. Eight-legged, Eight-legged freaks. freaks. And 
I don't like spiders. I'm deathly afraid of them. Really? Yeah. Ben, do you remember that one time we were at my old house? We were I was going to go out the back door, and there was a spider on the door, and I stood there for about 15 minutes freaking out because I couldn't go out the door. <laughs> it was funny. And I wouldn't squish it because I was too afraid to get near it. That's how deathly afraid of spiders I am, people. You know what the best part of that was? You were watching laughing the whole time? I No, yeah, I know. I'm still <laughs> mad about it, actually. To this day, I'm furious. There is a new spider movie. Is it Spider-Man? No, it's called <laughs> Sting. It releases on April 12th, 2024. It's... From what I can tell, a giant spider movie with a huge emphasis on practical spider effects, similar to Arachnophobia. So it's not like an asylum film? No. It's like actual, like an actual movie. Uh, it's directed and written by, I, I'm going to butcher this name and I'm sorry, Kia Roach-Turner. Uh, he's also directed Wormwood, Road of the Dead, and Necrotronic. Have you heard of those films? They were like film festival films. I think this is like his first bigger thing. Not really. But that's... Cool, That's I guess. Cool. Yeah. If you're into spider stuff, I fuck. I don't want to do that category ever again. I don't know if we could do that. Category we could. Ever we totally again. could. We could watch okay. the arachnophobia remake. We could when that comes out. But it was hard the first time. Yeah. And while I've gotten better at, I think, picking movies, I think there would still be some challenges involved because it was smaller as a category. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, I know there are some big ones we didn't touch. Is my point. So. Ugh. You guys didn't see that. Ben like moved his hands like spider legs. I didn't like that. <laughs> so a trailer for a movie called Crazy House. This is Crazy House with a K. Okay. I saw the trailer. You watched the trailer? Yeah, it's basically like I don't know, like a nineties, eighties sitcom kind of thing. Yeah. Uh but it's spoofed to be a horror movie. It stars mm-hmm. uh what's his name? He's in all the Sean Penn movies, like yep. Shaun of the Dead and uh You mean Simon Pegg? Simon Pegg, yeah. I he- I have his name written down. What's his name? So- Nick Frost. Yeah, Nick Frost. Pretty funny actor. Yeah, no, he's those he, movies are funny. He looks like he's the main character. It should be a lot of fun. No, uh, I'm really excited about it's a it. Yeah, film festival movie. I think it looks cool. I saw it like some of the art, and I was like, this looks it's, hilarious. It's very stylized. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, but if you like too many cooks, that's kind of the vibe oh, see, it's giving I, off. I've never seen too many cooks. Oh, I can just put that on later. I we'll do a short review. <laughs> a short review of too many cooks. It's like I don't know, five ten minutes long. That's not that okay. Long. Do you know what the movie... The movie, Jesus Christ. I can't talk. Do you know what the video game Until Dawn is? Yeah. There's a horror movie version of it set to begin production and be directed by David F. Sandberg, previously directed Lights Out and Annabelle Creation. It's being produced by Screen Gems and PlayStation Productions. If you don't know what Until Dawn is, there's this studio called Supermassive that put out video games, and it's essentially a horror-based sort of story game where you just make choices about characters and what they do in certain moments and then your choices impact the way the game plays out that's really what it is so they're taking that concept and turning it into a horror movie based on the first game they made now that's the one about the friends in the cabin yes that yeah, one with all the snow and everything mm-hmm. yeah. which that game is phenomenal if you've never played it so that's the one i highly recommend it on it. yes that is what the basis for the movie is okay so first of all i'm always kind of sketchy whenever they adapt video games into mm-hmm. movies uh, for two reasons. And I, I do think they are pretty legitimate reasons. Either A, no matter how good that video game, it has, how should I put this? Parts of the story are based on the video game format mm-hmm. that don't translate well to the screen. Yeah. That can be an issue sometimes. But also sometimes you have people who aren't fans of that series yep. adapting it. And you can have something that like looks like it's inspired by that series. 
but is yeah. a bad adaptation. We're talking bad video game movies that came out uh twenty twenty three. Do you know an absolutely horrific one? Oh god, I don't know. Monster Hunter. Oh, there was a Monster Hunter movie? Yes. I had no idea. It bad is, is bad. <laughs> Do you know what the one thing you want in your Monster Hunter movie is? Monsters. No. Monster hunting. Monster hunting, but very specifically, people with ludicrously big weapons smashing the shit out of monsters. You know what you get instead in that movie? Not that. Some people with guns. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. That's dumb. It's 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 not great. It is by the same guy who did the um Oh my god, he's married to Mia Jovovich. They do the, all the um, Resident Evil? Resident Evil films, yeah. Yeah, okay. Same director. But what's cool about this Until Dawn thing, and this is the reason I wanted to bring it up, is I'm really curious because that movie that game has multiple endings where either everyone lives, everyone dies, some people survive. Basically, there's tons of choices you make in the game that impact the story itself. So I have absolutely no fucking idea what choices they're going to make. I don't know. Is there a canon ending? I don't think so. That game. I actually don't think there's a canon ending because there are so there are so many different choices you can make that affect what happens. I know, but most games have like the quote unquote canon ending. Yeah, I there might be, but I wouldn't be aware of it. But I mean, I am excited about it because it's they pulled in PlayStation Productions to work on it, and they worked on the game with Supermassive. So I'm I'm hesitant, but I'm excited. Oh well, I mean, I'm glad you're excited. I'm. I always take video game movies with a grain of salt. No, I mean that's totally fair. Because I mean, they can be good movies, but they can still not be like good adaptations. Good ab- adaptations. I mean, maybe not the best example, but I think it's probably the most popular example for this year. But the Super Mario Bros. movie. Yeah, I've heard it's good. I've heard it's good, but I can't imagine it's a good adaptation. Of Mario, absolutely yeah. not. Probably not that you can really adapt Mario, but. <laughs> You know. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Uh, last thing, and this is actually like a cool thing that I appreciate. Columbia Pictures is celebrating its 100th anniversary, so for one week only, you can get 100 movies for $100. Oh, my God. Yeah, super cool, and it's all Columbia-based stuff, like you know, production company-wise. Not uh, from the country of Columbia. No. Movies for horror fans include Anaconda, Fright Night, Christine, and Wolf, with plenty more movies in the mix. I mean, there are 100 of them. I just named a couple. Because those were the famous horror ones that I saw off this like list. Super dope. That's awesome. How do you get them though? Uh, you go to the website. If mm. you go to the Columbia website, they'll be like, you can pay a hundred bucks, you get a hundred movies. Do you have to watch them on the Columbia website though? I think you. I don't know how you watch them. I I'm unaware, but I. That's cool. I'm just like logistically going. I clicked the link and went I, to the website. If I spent a hundred dollars, do I have to then have the Columbia website? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. All cool. Right. Cool though. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely I mean, cool. super dope. Like, you don't see studios doing stuff like that anymore. Like, that's a huge sale that's, on a yeah, bunch of films. Insane. Honestly, I think I'd be more excited about the non-horror films from Columbia. No, sure. I'm, there was, I mean, there are it's so many movies. A big studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my last thing. Okay. What do you got, Ben? I guess I got stuff. So, you know, I watch a lot of movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I watch a lot of movies for this podcast. And outside of this podcast, I don't necessarily have time to watch a lot of movies, both with, like, work and everything else going on. And when I do watch horror movies, not on the podcast, I can't really talk about them here. Yeah. Except for maybe a a quick blurb, especially if it's like a really recent movie. I'll Mm -hmm. sometimes talk about it because I think that's more relevant. Less so if it's an old movie. I'm just like, well, maybe we'll watch that. Like I did that um, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Where I was like, I watched a good movie. It was scary. (laughs) Can't tell you anymore. But 
I watched two movies that weren't horror movies this week. So okay. I was like, maybe I can tell Bob about them. Uh, so first of all, last night, so starting at midnight, okay. which is relevant, I watched uh, The Great Escape for the first time, which is a World War II movie set in a POW camp. Okay. You know what POW camp is? Yes. Prisoner of War. Um, it's very specifically an officer prisoner of war camp. And the film is all about these guys trying to escape from the camp. Very specifically, they're trying to do a great escape of 250 prisoners at once. Oh, my God. That's um, so many people. Through some ludicrous uh, escape attempt. It's it's a lot of fun. I thought it was really good. But I will say, it's three hours long. It's what a long movie. Insane. Because it came back out. Came back out. It came out back in the day when uh, they were like, we're going to make art <laughs> and not care about how long it is. When did this movie come out? Off the top of my head, I don't know. I think it's the 1970s. Okay. I, th- I thought this was an older movie. I've heard of this film. Yeah. I didn't no, know what it was about. It's really, really good. And yeah, I just had a lot of fun. The whole thing, though, with it being so long is I was watching it with my roommate and we got two hours and we paused it to go use the bathroom. We're like, oh my God, there's an hour left. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It also gets to certain points of the film, and it's like, wait, they're still going? <laughs> that makes sense. Highly, re- highly recommend. But I was watching it, and I didn't read the, the intro credits, because I try mm-hmm. not to, so I get surprised by actors. Do you know who was in that film? Oh, God. 70s movie? God. I don't know, Ben. I mean, first of all, Steve McQueen is in that movie as like a main character. Okay. But... Uh, Donald Pleasance. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should have guessed that, though. He's pretty young, too. Oh, my God. Pretty young. Funny. Does he have hair? Uh, no, but oh, okay. he has, like, black hair on the side of his head. Okay. So that was cool. Um, that is dope. But the other thing, and this is going to be more relevant, I think, for a little bit, is I'm in a, a film studies class this semester just for fun because I have to be in uh, non-major specific classes. Kind of sucks, but whatever. And... You know, we watch a movie every week. So this week, we watched a film from 1926. Oh, cool. From Japan. Yo. uh, Called A Page of Madness. And I'm bringing it up because, A, uh, it's a recovered film, which I always think is really cool. That is cool. It was lost until, I believe, 1971. Wow. When one of the writers found it in, I think, his tool shed. What a wild place to find an old movie. It's especially wild because that writer... I believe is very, very famous now. And like when he found the work, he was very, very famous. He was not back in 1926. I think he won a Nobel Prize in the interim. Oh my uh, God. For his writing and stuff. But it's a weird film. Okay. I mean, it's from a avant-garde mo- movement from like 1920s Japan that didn't like take off. Mm. So it's really weird. It's all in black and white. There's no sound. And there's also no uh, title cards. Whoa. So, like, when people talk, there's no, like, cards to tell you what they're saying. They're just talking. They're just talking, and you can't hear them because apparently the movie was supposed to be watched with um, basically, like, a crier guy who would stand next to the screen and explain stuff. That's cool. So it's really weird. Uh, It's very, again, very avant-garde and, like, ephemeral. In part because, like, 30 minutes are missing. But it's it's definitely interesting, and if you like older avant-garde films, especially stuff from like other countries like Japan, it's kind of cool. It's set in an insane asylum. I mean, look, the last black and white Japanese movie we watched was fucking crazy. So, 
But then again, it's also kind of slow and there's no sound. So <laughs> it could it could be very interesting to some people, but I think to a lot of people it's going to be uh, unpleasant. It's Fair. also not horror, so, you know, there's that. Uh, but that's all I have. And okay. I might bring up what we watch next week, but that that's a secondary thing. Okay. That's cool. I... I would love to do more stuff like that for the podcast, but that does not make good content. Like a film like that, would, like we couldn't watch Skin and Rink on the podcast. Well, that's just a garbage film. You have you watched it? Nope. It's not garbage. Garbage. It's really good. I, I will say I'm a scared little man. I'll admit that every time I bring this movie up, fall asleep watching Skin and Rink. That's what's gonna happen. It would. Oh, that movie scared the shit out of me. It might be this most scared I've ever been. You also watched it towards the beginning of this podcast, so... Uh, it wasn't the beginning, the beginning, but it was I know, close. but I said towards the beginning. You're right. But I didn't watch it alone, so I watched it with somebody else. That doesn't make it better. You watch a bunch of stuff with me, and you're still scared. Yeah, you're right. Fair. You're right. Okay. Now to choose a category for the movie, for this episode. You know, Ben, I've never done this. I've never done this. We're going to watch Catholic movies again? No. Oh. We're not. Sorry. Oh. Sorry to burst your bubble, buddy. I'm not. We're not going to watch a Catholic film. Even though The Omen is fantastic. That movie is still... Oh, so good. Are we going to watch a Universal Monster film? Wrong again, Ben. I know, but I'm hopeful. Why are you hopeful? Because, like, I know you're avoiding Universal Monster films because you're not necessarily grooving on them. No, I mean, I like them. They're but fine. But then we're going to have to finish the season with them. Uh, calm down. Uh, I have a plan for that, Ben. You have to finish this season with them. I have a plan. Calm down. I'm not choosing Universal Monster Films. We're watching Witches. We're finishing the category. More like bitches. Am I right? Okay. I, I had to do the joke the last time. Did you? Yeah. Okay. I'm almost positive you didn't, but that's fine. <laughs> now we're clear. <laughs> we're in the clear. I've done it. Yeah. So I'm choosing the last spot in Witches. Because that category has been fantastic. Has it been? Yeah. It's been okay. Wow. Some people have bad opinions, and that is one of them. It's okay, Bob. <laughs> I forgive you. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, you are being serious? Yeah, we're, we're watching <laughs> The Last Movie okay. and Witches. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm just kind of just kind of chilling. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. We're going to be watching The Witch today. Oh, shit. Yeah. That makes sense. That movie's called The Witch. <laughs> I had thought Witch. about it. I can't believe you didn't think about that. Okay, cool. Because you, you knew I liked this film. Yeah, but I thought you were going to save it. For what? Well, there's... The film called The Witch. What was I going to save it for, Bob? Well, Ben, we talked about not watching this movie till we'd done another thing that we've sort of started doing but haven't finished. <laughs> See, we sort of started it. Anyways, we're watching The Witch. Okay. I'm excited about this one. I know this movie is good and that you like it. And normally if you like a movie, it means I'll like a movie. In this case, I'm not necessarily sure if that's true. I'm sure you will, but... Okay. Interesting. It's uh, it's very stylized. Okay. You know, so keep that in mind. Uh, with that being said, The Witch came out in 2015. Okay. It's also sometimes known as The, the Vidge. Yeah. It's not, but like they spell it with two V's on mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Uh, it's stylized. But uh, description, 1600s New England and witchcraft. What could go wrong? Incredible. 
this is this is the movie I wanted from this category. I've <laughs> those, been waiting on this one. Those things have never mixed poorly in the past. Nice. This is probably Salem who. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the the quintessential witch film in my mind. You know what I mean? Like this setup. This is like what I want from the category. The other ones we've watched have not been that at all. I mean, what do you know about this film? Nothing. Just this, uh, just what you just said oh, to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. That and there's a sheep. Or no, a, is it a, it's a goat. It's a goat. Black Philip. Is that Black his name? Phillip. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He's I know rad. he's in this. I got some Black Philip art. Nice. Anyways, it's an hour and 32 minutes long. Okay. Uh, no, I expected this to be long as balls. And it's rated R. Thank God. Yeah, it's much shorter than you think. I mean, going back to your quintessential witch film, do you prefer this to like Hocus Pocus? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Hocus Pocus in years, so we'll see. Okay. Um. Anyways, review scores. Uh, seven point oh out of ten on IMDb. Okay. Tomato meter, ninety percent. Fuck yeah. An audience score of sixty percent. Oh. So you can tell that difference there, right? Okay. Like I said, it's very much kind of an artsy film. Mm. Like it's not avant garde or anything, but it's very very stylized. And if you can't get behind the style of this film. You're not going to enjoy it. Fair. Kind of like um, Shakespeare stuff. Okay. Where it's stylized. Well, stylized because it's old. But yeah. if you can't get behind, you know, the writing style. Mm-hmm. What is that? Elizabethan? You are. You're making me rack my fucking mind. We'll say the Shakespearean writing style. Yeah. It's hard to listen to. I have not um, taken a Shakespeare class in years. Anything about the witch. It's all in period accurate English, mm-hmm. which is uh, a little hard. <laughs> For I some think, people. For some people. Um, anyways, for awards, this is why, very specifically, I don't write these down anymore. I just oh, want you to know that. God. Uh, 45 wins and 70 nominations. Holy shit. Yeah. I knew this movie was good and famous. I did not know it was, like, that many awards famous. Yeah, a lot of people consider it, like, the best horror film of the 2010s. <laughs> Fuck. It's really good. Um, notable actors... Anya Taylor-Joy as Thomason. Who is that? Well, we actually brought this up earlier. She's the voice of Princess Peach in the Super Mario Bros. movie. Oh, okay. Well, there's that. That that one. That's not why I know her, but... No, I... you, you'll probably know her from other stuff. She has a very... She's just very identifiable. Okay. Ralph Inson. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Einson. As uh, William. He was Green Knight in The Green Knight. I haven't seen Have that. you ever seen The Green Knight? No, I haven't. Have you read The Green Knight? No. Great. Great Arthurian story. story. Mm-hmm. Heard good things. It's pretty good. The ending, though, I will say, of Green Knight the movie is probably the best part. Kate Dickey as Catherine. Uh, she played Ford in Prometheus. She was also the queen in The Green Knight. Oh, okay. Harvey Scrimshaw as Caleb. Uh, he played Harvard in the school of The School for Good and Evil. Ellie Granger as Mercy. She played Mary Middleton from The Village. She was on two episodes between 2013 and 2014. Lucas Dawson as Jonas. He wasn't in anything else. And then finally, uh, probably the most famous actor for this podcast, Julian Richings. You know that name, Bob? Didn't he come up on an episode like super recently? He comes up all the time. All the time. Janitor. Yes, he's the janitor. The weird janitor. Yep. And... Urban legend. Why is he around so much? He's everywhere. He's got a very particular look to him. Yeah. Uh, so he's a he's a fun character actor, I think, no, for a lot of He is. Films. What if we watched him on something really recently? Do you remember what it was? 
Off the top of my head, no. No. It wasn't the craft, was it? I feel like it was this season. I don't think so. Am I losing my mind? I might be losing I my know. mind. He's in the craft. He's in I Supernatural. Just, you just said no. No. Is he in the craft? I could check. I that, don't remember. That's why I'm asking. I don't think he's in the craft, though. He was in something very recently. He wasn't in the craft. Because we, we mentioned his name. He was in Supernatural. He's yeah. in Urban Legend. He's mm-hmm. in There was something Cube. else. I haven't seen. We haven't seen Cube yet. We've seen him a couple times on yeah. the show. I've enjoyed him every time. Anyways, writer and director is Robert. I think it's what Eggers or Eggers. I don't know, Ben. Let me say Eggers. Okay, that's probably wrong, and I'm sorry. Uh, but he also directed The Lighthouse. Yeah, anyone's familiar with that? Which and we I talked hate. about him doing the Nosferatu film mm-hmm. a little while ago. And uh, what The Northman? Yeah, he does a bunch of stuff. It's all pretty good, honestly. Mm-hmm. If you like his style, you like his style. You haven't seen anything by him, right? Nope. Ah, this will be the first. Uh, budget is estimated at around $4 million. That's not as much as I expected. Which is not a lot. Yeah. I mean, Holy for shit. a film like this, it's a lot, but mm-hmm. not that much in the grand scheme of things. With that being said, the box office turnout was about uh, $40.4 million. Holy fuck. So a little over 10 times, which is incredible that's crazy because this was a small film when Mm -hmm. it came out yeah i don't remember seeing ads for it anywhere no it just did great i just remember hearing about it after the fact people were going oh my god this movie's awesome yep uh country of origin united states and canada okay it's shot in canada if you're wondering it's originally like the full title is technically the witch with the double v's colon a new england folktale okay so the full title and the tagline is Evil takes many forms. It's like tiny scripts under that. Okay. Oh. Oh, no. Many forms. Nope. Uh, I don't have too much to talk about with this film, though, uh, but I think the big things to note is this is the feature directorial debut of Robert Eagers. Well, is this his first, like, feature-length film? Yes. Whoa. It's also the film debut of Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, it's her first movie, so too. So she's a pretty big actor now, especially yeah. in the horror I- community. I know she's in other stuff. Uh, she was in Split. You know that film? Yes. Okay. I do know that film. She's the girl. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Aside from that, this film was inspired by Iger's childhood. He grew up in New Hampshire, so you know mm-hmm. New England, and he heard a lot about uh, witches and stuff like that. So, you know, childhood fascination. Uh, next thing, this film is intended to be as historically accurate as they could get it. See, that's sick. They talked to a bunch of historians and stuff like that. And uh, they even called in professionals to do some of the set design, like thatching and stuff. Oh. And so it, they do a really good job with everything from dialogue to clothing and even the set. From what I could find, though, the biggest challenge was actually the environment they were filming in. The director wanted to film in New England for obvious reasons. Yeah, but makes sense. But uh, there's no tax incentives to do that. Ah, uh, I see. And so they had to film in Canada. And it was a very big challenge for him to find a area so like a forested area especially mm-hmm. that looked correct okay uh and so he had to apparently go like really really off the map to find places that <laughs> fit what he was looking for which he, he did find eventually but it, it's kind of interesting that that was the biggest challenge it's a lot of effort to find like that's look i mean it's his first film he's got to try hard i mean i guess but i guess you got one shot one opportunity my point is there's vomit on your sweater already <laughs> Mom's spaghetti? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my point is, 
to make that much, put that much effort forward into finding the correct filming location is kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Unnecessary to a lot of people, but the fact that he was willing to do that for his first movie is commendable. I guess you say that, but A, you have to remember directors tend to be particular. I mean, that's fair. Specific images in their head. But you also have to remember he grew up in New England. Mm -hmm. So what it's supposed to look like is probably really ingrained in his brain. Yeah. And if he probably films anywhere else, it's probably going to take him out of the scene because he's going to be like, this doesn't look right. Fair. So it was probably, honestly, a pretty anal thing for him where he was like, I can't film in the wrong place. That tree, not the right color. Exactly. Well, you also have to remember when you're filming in Canada, it's a lot colder there. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that... You know, northeastern United States isn't very cold. Uh, it's very similar environments to Canada in some places, but depending where you are in Canada, it's a very different, like, tree population and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing, though, is with the stylized spelling, you know, the double Vs instead of a W. Uh, that is apparently from a Jacobean-era pamphlet hmm. on witches. Uh, That's cool. That the director found. Among other things, that's just a, where the stylized spelling comes yeah, from. Yeah, I had no idea where that came from. I just assumed it was like an old witch thing. Yeah. I mean, double V, it kind of looks like a W. I mean, yeah, it so. does. Anyways, that's all I got, so we can we can watch the film now. Okay, yeah. We'll uh, be back in a minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We just finished watching The Witch. Yeah. Woo! What do you think? Okay. I like it. I liked it. Overall. Right? Okay. It's pretty good. I have, like, an issue with it. But we'll get to it. All right. That's fair. With that being said, uh, you know, usual stick. We'll do uh, a brief rundown of kind of the film, and then we'll actually get into talking about it. I don't know if we'll have a spoiler section today. I don't think we need one. Probably not. Because I don't think we should talk about it. <laughs> but we that means we won't mention, you know, the ending of this film. Yeah. Go figure. Uh, with that being said, though, I'd highly recommend you go and watch this film. Kind of the biggest takeaway here is that this film is overall an experience. Like, it's all about watching it. Yeah. So if we spoil stuff for you, well, you can still, I think, get a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's going to be better mm-hmm. as a... Uh, a watch without that. So, with that being said, brief description here. It's about a puritanical family. They live in uh, New England in the 1630s, I believe. Oh. And they are expelled from the community. It's done very early on in the film. Like, it's the cold open they get expelled. And it really comes down to the father is in a disagreement with the council in mm-hmm. charge of the settlement. And... It's it's really a disagreement of pride where he is attacking the people in charge for not being probably strict enough religiously. Yeah. That's what it seems like, at least. And the council's like, dude, calm down. <laughs> Chill out. Or we're going to have to kick you out. And he's like, well, I'll leave. I don't want to be surrounded by you sinners. Uh, and so the dad of the family takes uh, his wife and his, what, four children with him. Because the wife is pregnant. Is it five? The wife is pregnant, I think, when they leave. Oh, really? I think so. Okay. I might be incorrect, but um. anyways, the family moves out into the middle of nowhere. I think it's a day's ride away by horse. I think it's what they said, yeah. And they set up a small farm kind of in the middle of nowhere. 
and the main brunt of the film is it's late fall i think their first year and things aren't going well and if you couldn't guess from the title there might be a supernatural reason underlining the general issues of trying to survive in the wilderness as a small family so that that's I think an overall, a pretty decent rundown. Yeah. So we can get into actually discussing the film. Spoiler warning, of course, once again, highly recommend you go watch it. Because some of the early scenes that are the inciting incidents are kind of shocking. Startling. If you don't expect them to happen. Um, But with that being said, let's get into it. Do you have anywhere you want to start with, Bob? No, you can go first. You can start. Okay. Right off the bat... And we kind of discussed this earlier, but the thing I think most people are going to notice about this film is the dialogue. Mm -hmm. So it is, my understanding is it's done after, I think it's Jacobean era dialogue. Stuff from the 1600s, essentially, uh, for what you'd expect from like uh, Puritans, from New England. And I think when most people hear that, they're expecting it to be hard to understand, it's not. But it's not. It's not and at all. I just wanted to start by saying that if you're considering watching this film and one of your big concerns is how hard it's going to be to understand the dialogue or what the characters are talking about, I don't think that's an issue. No. They, the di- dialogue they use and the word choice they use is very similar to how I think a lot of TV shows <laughs> imagine antiquated English to sound. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it's very approachable for a modern audience. No, I, I can agree Even with Even though that. it's fairly accurate. I think there's a couple uh, allusions to especially biblical texts that might be mm-hmm. a little bit harder for people. Yeah. But overall, it's very easy to understand what they're saying. And I think it works really well No, I like the it. film. I like it a lot. It It's not my favorite part of the film, but it's one of my favorite parts because it makes all of the different interactions between the characters hit really hard because of the way they talk. And yeah. it, it, it gives it impact and oomph that I don't think it would have. Like, if they just looked the way they did and talked normally and had normal dialogue, this film would not work. No, it's a very important part to making the whole setting of this film work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it jives perfectly with the setting, which I think I mentioned this. They do, like, period-accurate housing. Mm-hmm. Like, the roofs are all thatched and stuff. They have period-accurate clothes, not a lot of buttons, some class. Lots of ties and, you know, kind of period accurate farming, too. Uh, they talked to some agricultural specialists and it it all just seems very, very convincing. And it makes a lot of the emotions people are feeling and the reasons they're feeling stuff, I think, hit home in a mm-hmm. way it wouldn't otherwise. You know, you said that the dialogue wasn't your favorite choice, but it works really well with the setting. And a note I want to make on that point is that some of the dialogue hits very hard from an emotional aspect, I think, because you have characters going through very emotional um, sequences using, like, what you'd expect for them to use for, like, religious references and stuff mm-hmm. uh, to express themselves. And I think it's uh, very impactful. Yeah. Aside from that, I think the next thing to look at is some of the cinematography. This movie's pretty. It is so pretty. I know we talk about films a lot and we're like, ah, yeah, it's beautiful. But this film does a very good job of capturing nature. Yeah. There's a lot of shots where while someone is in center frame, they are very, very small. Mm-hmm. And there's a greater focus on the surroundings. Oh. Which in this case, uh, there's a heavy focus on the woods. 
Uh, it's kind of the malignant force in this movie, more so than even the quote-unquote witch, which yeah. is not necessarily a big focus in this movie. Instead, it's which is surprising. The woods, and um, this is actually emphasized at the very end of the cold open, where there's just a sequence of just focusing on the woods mm-hmm. and how they tower over uh, the family. But in either case, yeah, there's just a lot of pretty sequences. There's one sequence where we can see the houses that yeah. they live in and oh, the wood man. backdrop and just the smoke coming off the chimneys mm-hmm. mixing into the fog. It looks great. looks really pretty. But one of the best sequences that I think we see a lot of is when they go into the woods. Yeah. And the forest that surrounds this homestead where the family lives is a pine forest, looks like. So if you've ever been to kind of a uh, pine forest or seen the pine barrens in like New Jersey, New Jersey or Maryland, you know, where Blair Witch is set. Oh, well, I was going to say where the Jersey Devil lives. That too. Uh, but Blair Witch is set in the pine barrens. Oh, I didn't know that. Anyways, lots of very, very straight trees mm-hmm. and there's no branches until you get to the top. And so there's a couple sequences where they're moving through the woods and it creates this really, really interesting effect where you have all the trees almost blending together. Yeah. Because it's a bunch of like straight lines uh, with none of the background like popping through. Anyways, very, very good cinematography. Uh, and you can tell that the director did really, really good yeah. work with it. No, my favorite part about the cinematography is a lot of the framing stuff because it allows us to, as an audience, to view the characters as as small as they actually are, in a sense. Yeah. Like, by giving us these huge framing shots of the woods and all the surrounding forest, it makes the characters feel small and isolated and alone, which adds to the atmosphere of the film. Because a lot of the film is them being like, well, there's crazy stuff happening that we can't explain, but we can't go get any help because it's a days away. Yeah, the the film really, I think, emphasizes what would have been a pretty big reality of life, I think, for people during that time period of, we don't have a lot of control over what happens to us. Mm -hmm. You couldn't tell from my description earlier, the farm is essentially failing. Yeah. You know, um... These people are Puritans, but they are essentially fresh off the boat from England. At the very least, the two eldest children we know were born in England. Yeah. And the eldest son, his name's Caleb, was at least old enough to remember. At least a little bit. At least a little bit. Not with the same accuracy that the eldest daughter, uh, Thomason, is able to, but enough to remember stuff that happened there. Um, So they can't have been in America too long. And so... They're very unequipped mm-hmm. to handle the realities of living in the new world. And like Bob said, it really does show through, you know, the cinematography, but just generally how they respond to a lot of the bad stuff happening. They yeah. kind of try the bunker down, but it just really gets to them. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it very much is a common theme throughout of, oh, all this bad stuff is happening. What do we do? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's very like cabin fever esque. Like they're stuck. They're alone. There's nothing they really can do. In part because, uh, as we said, the dad left the village because of pride, mm-hmm. and he can't go back. Because then he looks like a like a fool. Both because of his own pride and because of, you know, he kind of insulted everyone before he left. Yeah. Moving on though from cinematography, the next I think big thing to note is sound. Oh, the music is so good. The music in this film is, it's really, really good. It really matches, uh, I think, the tone of this movie and Mm -hmm. does so much for the film. But it's admittedly a little bit weird 
It's, no, it is weird. I don't know. I describe it as almost dramatic strings with choral music. Yeah, there's so, like so with a film like this, I kind of expected it to be something period. Period, because the rest of it is so period, but the fact that the music is not is kind of nice. Yeah. Like I like it. In fact, I'd say most of the tension from this film, most of the horror comes from the combination of the cinematography, like mm-hmm. we said, focusing on how small the characters are, but combining that with the score. Because the music is so big and grand and epic, and the yeah. characters are so small that you're there's just such a like harsh dichotomy that it works. Going back, I described kind of the first sequence where we see the forest, and it's towering over the family, and they mm-hmm. focus on it. They play the score during that for, I think, the first time. Yeah. And we finished the sequence, and Bob was like, I don't know why, but I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah, I was I was freaked out because it's like the feeling of being alone in a place like that that is so wild, untamed, and dangerous is horrific. Yeah. And the music emphasizes that. Aside from that, do you have any other kind of comments on kind of stuff from a production aspect? Yes. Okay, do you want to share those? There's some weird stuff in this movie that I don't know if I like or not. And maybe it's just me. But the movie has very intentional breaks where it'll just straight cut to black at the end of a scene. And it'll hold for like a solid three or four seconds. It does it multiple times throughout the film. I don't know if I like it, but it's cool. Yeah, so my understanding for why that's done. Obviously, it's a stylistic choice. Yeah. But it has to do with how slow this film is. Mm Mm-hmm. When those cuts happen, it's because there is a major break both in time but in tone of the sequence. Yeah. And the break acts as a, I think, a a slower way to kind of keep you in the film and adjust you to this change. Well, it also helps. Without, like, ripping you out of the moment. Mm -hmm. It also just helps build tension. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, black screen jump scare? No. No. Scary, though. I like it. It. Honestly, to me, reminds me of, again, I'm going to bring this back to kind of what the full title of this is. It's a New England folktale, right? Mm-hmm. And fading to black as they do kind of reminds me of reading a book when you finish a chapter. Mm. And then it's you have that blank page and then you turn the page and it's a new scene. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Because it's really, they only use it every once in a while at essentially the end of an act. Mm-hmm. If this was a play, these black sequences happen at the end of an act. Yeah. And to be honest, I think it's a more stylistic way of doing an act change mm-hmm. because it feels like where a uh, a title card would be for like act two or act three. Yeah. It almost feels like if I were watching a TV show and it was like, that's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Cut to black. Commercial. Come back for the next episode. Yeah. Uh, point being is I don't hate it. I don't hate it either. It was just surprising. Yeah. I think it can be surprising, but... Uh, it's one of those things that I think really works with this film. Mm-hmm. It definitely wouldn't work for every film. <laughs> uh, but this film is so segmented into it, acts. I was about to say, it's structured. Yeah. And very... Because things flow naturally over yeah. a long period of time, and then it's like, oh, but now we're jumping. Mm-hmm. Anything else? That's it. Okay. Now, aside from kind of just general stylistic stuff that we've covered a little bit here, I think, for me, the biggest part of this movie that I think is interesting is some of the cultural and historical stuff at least that i pick up on i'm not a big history buff especially for uh 1600s new england that's not Mm -hmm. something i'm insanely familiar with but i do think it's interesting to look at some of the cultural stuff i picked up on 
mm-hmm. because I think there's a lot of undertones in this film. First and foremost, we talk about why the family had to leave the Puritan set like settlement, and I think that's really fascinating because you know you know the Puritans they left England because at the end of the day the English didn't like them because yeah. they were very very strict from a religious aspect, and so the fact that the father got kicked out for probably being too strict for the Puritans is it's, it's a bit crazy. It says a lot, but it's also something that's very easy to overlook if you're not aware of that fact. Yeah. It's also very interesting to look at how he views religion and pride. Yeah. Because throughout the film the dad's he's generally speaking surprisingly reasonable. He is a very reasonable father, but you can also see a lot of hypocrisy coming from him and how like he's ruled by certain things you can tell he thinks he's above Mm -hmm. once again pride's a very good example he's got his family stuck in the middle of nowhere because of his pride yeah and he continues to live there because of his pride even though it's not the best situation not best situation other things like that like i mean all the characters have a very very interesting relationship with religion Mm -hmm. it's and it's all of their relationships are very different which i was Mm -hmm. surprised by and i think that's part of my like one of my favorite parts, at least, of the film is, like, watching all of these different characters struggle with religion in very different ways, which is not something, like, I kind of expected it coming in because, you know, which film from about the 1600s, religion is important in the period. Well, so especially it makes sense. for the Puritans. Yeah, so it makes sense for it to be a major part, but it's, like, a ton of this film is not even just, like, undertones, but, like, purely religious, like, dissection. Yep. Entire scenes where it's just the dad... And Caleb or somebody talking about religion. And it's just really cool. Yeah, I honestly think it's really interesting how well this film captures how people from that time period would have interacted with it. Mm -hmm. Because it was just a facet of life. Like, once again, we talked about how the characters don't have a lot of agency. And for them, religion was kind of that agency, at least in some ways that they could capture. And I I think uh, the film does a really good job of dealing with how scary that could be very early on in the film. I think it's a very good example that Caleb has a freak out about like, if I die, what's going to happen to me? Mm -hmm. Cause like we live out here in the woods. I can't go to a priest. Yep. Like if I've sinned, I'll be damned. It's just, I think it does a very good job of capturing all those very intricate interactions and everyone's differences with Mm -hmm. it. I think that's, that's very, very good. Yeah. And I appreciate it so much because I feel like in a film like this, a lot of the time, it'll all of their feelings about religion will kind of feel the same. Like I, I, because you know, they're all raised in the same time in the same period. It'd be like, oh, they all have the same views about religion, but it, it really, really captures the dichotomy between everyone, which makes all of their interactions feel so weighted and real, and really adds a lot to each individual character and gives them really good characterization about why they interact with certain things certain ways, and adds a lot of depth to the film that I really like. Yeah. However. I think the biggest thing that, like, I picked up on, and I'm not sure if you picked up on it as much, is some of the historical, like, beliefs about witches Mm -hmm. spread throughout the film. And I thought that is just the coolest part of the film. No, it's super dope. You know, this film, again, it titles itself after, you know, a New England folktale. But it really does look into beliefs about witches in the classical sense yeah I, I say classical in the 1600 sense mm-hmm. you know how the early 
American colonists would have seen them. Yeah, it's a very them. different take from like modern witchcraft. Yeah, very different than modern. And so a lot of the interactions are framed around that. And if mm-hmm. you aren't familiar <laughs> with ideas about witchcraft in that sense, I don't think everything is easy to pick up on, mm-hmm. which isn't always a bad thing. There's a very specific thing that I think slips under the radar for most people for like a modern age, if you're unfamiliar, uh, very specifically. And again, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but on the farm, like I said, there's five kids. There's mm-hmm. a baby, two twins who Caleb. are Jason and Mercy. Sam's the baby. Jonas. No, Jonas and Mercy. <laughs> I was like, oh. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Jonas and Mercy, Caleb, who's the oldest son, and then uh, Thomason. And throughout the film, let me just say the twins are spoiled. The twins are fucking menaces. They're allowed to get away with a lot, but very early on in the film, we hear the twins say like, "Oh, I was talking to Black Philip." Yeah. The goat. And I think as a modern audience, we hear that and we go, "Oh, whatever, it's a kid. He's playing pretend." Yeah, they're fucking around with a goat. And that's not necessarily the read that you should have yeah. if you were from this time period. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's something most people realize until later in the film when uh Thomason points it out. I don't think you picked up on it until I... I mean, I was vaguely aware, but I hadn't thought about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but, like, talking to animals is a pretty demonic thing to do back in the day. In a similar sequence, we see the kids try to pray at one point, the twins, mm-hmm. and they can't do it. Yeah, specifically the Lord's Prayer. Which is, again, that's a very, like, oh, I've been doing witchcraft kind of thing. I can't say the Lord's Prayer. There's other similar stuff, like how the witch acts... The rituals are not like magic in the uh, hocus pocus kind of way that we're used to nowadays. They're much more uh, ritualistic and focused on blood. Mm -hmm. But more importantly than that, the effects are very much like more forces of nature. Yeah. Like most of the stuff that, you know, as an audience, uh, we believe is probably witchcraft almost seems like it could be happenstance. Mm -hmm. Like the animals getting sick, an egg having a chick in it. Yeah. Lots of stuff like Just that. Just stuff going poorly. The, I mean, the crops, like, rotting and, like, dying. Yep. And, you know, the the more you learn about the witches, the film goes on. And, again, we're not going to talk about the ending here, but the more aspects of kind of classical witchcraft mm-hmm. kind of come in to play. But that adds a large layer of tension within the family, too, because it's like, the dad's like, I don't want to go back to town, but the mom's like, this sucks! The mom is like, the mom's I... Like, didn't want to leave England. I didn't want to leave England. This is all horrible. This is all your fault. Blah, 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 blah. And there's no one to blame besides themselves. So it leads to a lot of really awesome interactions where they're fighting with each other over stuff that is not in their control that we as the audience know, but they do not. Yeah. And it's really entertaining to watch. Uh, which I think is a very good lead into the fact that at the end of the day, this is essentially a character piece yeah. focusing on a family and the stresses that a family can be put under and what effects that can have on them Mm -hmm. especially grief man and out of all the family members it is specifically a focus on uh thomason and how grief can negatively and probably wrongly affect certain members of a family unit yeah and the effects that that can have on them over time I, i think it's done beautifully no it's really good at one point i looked at ben i don't know if it's in the outtakes I don't know if it's going to be, at least. I looked at Ben and said, this movie sucks. Not because it's a bad movie, but because it's so just, like, heartbreakingly awful. Oh, it's it's brutal, because you, you It's see... like sh- 
heart shattering. You see everything going wrong before it happens. Yep. Like you start this film uh, with the family getting kicked out of town, and I at least know for me the first time I watched it, I saw that sequence and I was like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. And as it keeps progressing, I'm like, yep. Things are good. It's getting this worse. Is exactly what it's I thought would wor- happen. And just when you think it can't get any worse, it gets even worse. Yeah. With that being said, is there anything else you'd like to talk about in particular? No, I don't think so, man. Okay. Well, then I guess before we move on, I just want to mention it. Uh, there's a goat in this film. Oh, yeah. We talked about. Yeah. His name is Black Phillip. Good old Black Phillip. He Phillip. is a, and I forget the breed name, but he's a historical breed. Mm-hmm. Whatever that's called. A heritage breed, I think. But he looks like a. Kind of a period accurate goat. Yeah. He's huge. He's big. He He's a big man. At his haunches, I don't know, four feet at least. More than that. At his haunches? Oh, sorry. I thought you meant on his hind like if he's standing on his hind no, legs. No, on his haunches is if anyone doesn't know, like at his shoulders. So yeah, I would say fours. probably four or five feet, four and a half feet. Yeah. Like that. So he's about he's big. the size of the two twins. He's taller than the twins. Not his head. His horns. He has these huge like ram horns. Mm-hmm. Uh, that curve. Like, you know the classic devil horns? Yeah. And, first of all, from what I've heard, in real life, the goat that played Black Phillip was an asshole. <laughs> like, super aggressive and would try to kill everyone. I'm but, surprised they got the scenes out of him that they did then. Oh, yeah, it's very surprising. But Black Phillip as a character of a goat is super rad. No, he's great. I just wanted to mention that. He's also super scary because... We see a couple sequences where that goat stands on its hind legs. And I know that might not sound like very intimidating, but this is a big animal. It's on its hind legs about six feet tall. That's it's huge. Its horns are about the size of someone's head. Yeah. At one point, William wrestles the goat. And it, again, it really emphasizes the fact that, oh, yeah, this is the 1600s. This might be a goat, but it'll fuck you up. A goat can, like, mess you up let alone everything else in these woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also a rabbit. Yeah. Which um, there's a rabbit. I want to mention here, again, sort of a spoiler, generally believe there's some lore of like witches either having familiars or being able to change into mm-hmm. animals. Crows specifically, too. Uh, crows specifically, black cats, uh, wolves. obviously wolves. And there's a couple of focus scenes on different animals in this film. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes implied that maybe they're witches. Or maybe it's just... The devil. Yeah. Uh, but in either case, there's some evil animals. Very evil. I think that's an important thing to mention because they're all really cool. Yeah. They focus a lot on the eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, a lot of the eye colors are the same. Yeah. The kind of... I, I did notice that because at one point, there's a, you get to see the rabbit, but then you see a crow and I went, my God. Yeah. Same thing. So it's really, really cool. A lot of attention to detail there. With that being said, if we're not going to talk about the ending, which I do want to say, I think the ending of this film I was going to – I wanted to bring this out there. Ending's great. I love it. I like the end of this movie. I think it's a great ending. It's also, at least for me, besides being very, very cool, almost very somber. Mm -hmm. It's thematic too. It's thematic, but it's it's very much a – like I said, this is a character piece, and it's an ending that's created by characters having – no other options, mm-hmm. you know, being forced down this path again. No, yeah. Like I said, you can see it kind of coming from the very beginning. Oh, for sure. And so the but fact I mean, that it happens is horrific and sad in the worst way possible. Like, 
that's the best part. We but that's the best part. Yeah, well, that's the best part because, like, the fact that we can see it coming means when it gets there, it's satisfying. It's very earned. In the best way. Like, it's not one of those movies where you see something coming so then it doesn't hit as hard. You see it coming and then you go, oh, my God, I can't believe we made it here. Yeah. Also. It's awesome. It has one of my favorite lines in this mm. film. Not going to say it again because it's in the ending and I don't yeah. want to spoil it for No anyone. spoilers here. But it is one of my favorite lines both in this movie but in general, I think, mm-hmm. for film, it's it's a good line. It sends shivers down my spine because of the context. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's gr- it's great. Especially because in context, it seems a little bit weird, but it's worked into the values of the time period. Yeah, for sure. But with that being said, if you don't have anything else, I th- well, oh well, I've of got course, more th- I've got more now. Sorry, you started talking, and then I thought of something else I want to talk about. We haven't talked about it, and this is one of those films where. I don't know if this would have helped, but this is not a very bloody or gross film. No, but but what you do get is great. What I was going to say is it it's not very bloody, but it feels very realistic. Yes, it's very uh, like grimy and gross. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of blood, but I don't know if you noticed, but when characters bleed, oh. the wounds stay on them. Mm-hmm. And they like leak. And also, whenever blood gets on their clothes, that stays. Yeah. Same thing with dirt. So everything feels very impactful. And again, like I said, we were talking about Black Phillip and how uh, if you get any wound, you might die. Mm-hmm. You feel like that even for the smallest wounds that characters yeah. get where it's like, oh, you got a little cut. <laughs> I hope you don't die from that. Yeah. Uh, I just want to bring that up because like, at least in my mind, I kind of expected it to be grosser for some reason. But I don't know. There's some sequences that there's, are pretty There gross. is one specific sequence that's really fucking disgusting. And Bob thought something was going to happen on screen Yeah, that he might have had me turn the, the film off for. Yeah. But I just thought I'd bring up, like, the practical stuff that we do get to see for blood and, like, dead animals and stuff looks good. It's oh, just... I had forgotten about the dead animals. The dead animals look amazing. Yeah. There's one specific one that you think... I, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, warning if you uh, don't like animals dying. They're not real animals. They're, of course they're not real animals. But... Different uh, category. I know certain types of animals dying on screen kind of uh, ruins movies for and Let some me put people. it out there. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but one more thing. Oh, I also have something else. I'm sorry. Look, you... you You're know. good. I just wish you would, uh, you know... Do them earlier instead of me going, oh, let's do the recommendations, and you going, hold up. Well, because you said, do I have anything else? I said no. And then you said something, and it jogged my memory. Go ahead. You know, we've talked about how this is like a character piece, and like all the characters are really good. There's one standout character for me that I want to talk about specifically, because I think he does the best job. Talking about the dad? Yes. The guy who plays William, I don't remember his name, is phenomenal. He does such an incredible job. He's by far my favorite character and also the best character because there are some, like, you know, Thomason is the main character, even though the film's really about her whole family overarching and, like, you know, all their values and such. But the way, first of all, his voice is incredible. His voice is, like, I mean, he has just a very deep baritone. But it, it, like, with the accent and the way he speaks, it just hits me really hard. Like, there's something, the opening sequence, when it's, like, black and he's just talking, is, like, the hardest I've ever, like, been hit by a voice in a film. He has a very powerful voice. I yeah, think it's and the best it's way. really good, because it makes everything he says have this sort of... Grandeur? Grandeur and fatherly weight to it. I don't know. I just I just think he does a phenomenal job, and he's by far my favorite character. 
I don't know. I, I thought all the actors were really good. All of them were really good. Especially, shockingly, uh, you know, Thomas and, and Caleb were younger, mm-hmm. and both their actors did a really good job. Yeah, for sure. And the mom is just in grief the whole time. Oh, my God. And does a very great job of showing that. Yeah. Anything else, though? I'm done. All right. Do you want to do your recommendations? Sure. Okay. If you want a classic, like, almost grim fairy tale, modern, not modern, what's what I'm looking for? Grim fairy tale, Salem witch trial-esque witch film. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, this is a very much a classic film about witches. Yeah. In, in the storytelling sense. So if that's something you're interested in, highly recommend it for that. If you want a, like, history piece about the 1600s, and like the what it's like to live on a shitty homestead in the middle of nowhere. Also recommended for that. All the set stuff is really cool. All of the like actual dangers they face that aren't, you know, <laughs> crazy witch stuff are really cool. If you want to film about religion and a family struggle with it, this movie does such a good job at that. And I really, really like it. If you want a movie about family and what can make it fall apart very easily. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend it for that. I there's a, I have a lot of more recommendations, but I'm going to stop now. Okay. I think I have three big recommendations here. I mean, first of all, if you like horror films and you want a somber uh, period piece, this is amazing. It's, for me at least, probably the best period piece from this timeline. Not timeline. From this time period that I can point at. You know? If I want anything from, like, 1600s puritanical. Yeah. This is probably it for me. I know it's obviously a, a horror film and it has some more fantastic elements, but they really do capture, I think, some of the facts of life very, very well mm-hmm. and very, very visually appealing as well. Additionally, I think if you are looking for something that kind of captures the whole, again, I'm going to use their own words, New England folktale kind of aesthetic, you know, it's uh, it's almost folk horror, but it's very much rooted in kind of early America, early colonial America. I think this is a very good film for that. For sure. And then finally, if you like any of the people associated with it. Yeah. I mean, this is the director's feature-length directorial debut. Uh, It's also the first movie for Anya Taylor-Joy, I believe her name is. No, you got her name right. Uh, So, you know, if you like any of the people in this film, I think they all do a great job with Mm -hmm. it. And it's definitely worth a watch for that. With that being said, though, do you want to give it a rating? Oof. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this one because, yeah, I like it. I think it's super good. I don't know if I can give it a five. We've can been I, slinging them around this season. You've been slinging them around. But also, here's here's my here's my point. This, like I said, is very much a film that is a classic, like witch folktale film. Yeah. And it does everything I want? I was going to say, why do you think you can't give it a five? Because I wasn't, there was no, it's, it, it ah, it's so hard for me to say it. It's not, it doesn't, like, I wasn't blown away. It, like, there was nothing super surprising that, like, blew me out of the water. But I think that's because I kind of knew how the movie ended before we watched it. Was that spoilers or... Uh, you've told, you've talked about it before. Oh, have I? Yes, okay. to me specifically. So I knew what was going to happen. Oh, that was probably before the podcast, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it absolutely was. Sorry. 
So I'm sort of sitting here like, if I had never seen that, didn't know all the stuff I knew, and watched this for the first time, I'd be fucking gobsmacked right now. Yeah. And the movie's still fantastic. And also, I said I had a problem with the movie. We talked over it. Don't even care. Uh, The, like, black stuff. I was like, I don't like that. Oh, okay. It's weird. But then you explained it to me, and I was like, no, that makes sense, and I appreciate it more now. So I've kind of gotten over the only problem I had with the movie. So I think I'm going to give it a five. Okay. This is, dare I say it, the perfect, like, witch folktale film. Like... That I've, I can't think of wanting anything else for a movie like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's the perfect witch folk folk horror film, uh, but definitely for like what we view of sixteen hundreds witches. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think it's yeah, basically because it also takes a lot of the pre, what is it, predisposed notions that I have about what I want from a film like this. And throws them out the window by getting rid of the whole witch trial element that you would kind of That's what you expect, think of. right? Exactly. And it doesn't do that. And that's incredible and refreshing. So yeah, five. I like this movie a lot. I'm also gonna give it a five because in all honesty, I don't really have any issues with this film. It's kind of just one of those movies where I'm like, wow, this was really, really good and I really, really enjoyed myself. Yeah. Even on a subsequent watch, I was having a great time <laughs> which i think is always a good sign for a movie when you can watch it again mm-hmm. and just still be blown out of the water yeah but really i think the thing that gets it there to a five is the combination of all the technical stuff how much attention to detail there is on the sets the dialogue but also the sound design the cinematography but also how they managed to work in a lot of good reflections on the time period and beliefs mm-hmm. and witches into the script i think just overall it's a film that just perfectly captures the beliefs of the time period and place alongside the fear of the unknown and witches as a almost primal force of evil Ooh, i i I think it's really good and it serves a a five no yeah i i agree with you that being said though i think we're gonna go to outtakes i don't necessarily think we're gonna have any you don't think so we marked a couple stuff, but a lot of them were just Bob gasping. But we might have one, uh, so we'll see you in a second. There's at least one funny one. We'll be back then. Yeah, we'll see you guys in a minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the outtake section for this episode of Beware the Board. I hope you're enjoying our review of The Witch so far. I really like this movie. I think it's super fantastic. But without further ado, let's get in to the outtakes. This first clip is the beginning of the movie starting to freak me out. You can also see why the forest was important. Yeah. <laughs> why was that necessary? <laughs> I didn't like that. I know you didn't. I don't think you're going to like that a lot. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> We've literally nothing's happened and I'm terrified. <laughs> This next clip is my reaction to one of the witch's disgusting rituals. No. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Oh. Thank God. Ugh. At least I didn't get to see the baby murder, but now I gotta look at this witch's bare ass. Ugh. I hate this. Oh, she covering herself in mushed up baby? Uh. 
Hi everybody, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the outtakes. Do we have any announcements, Ben? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. So, you know, usual stick. Uh, check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're lots of places now. We're also on YouTube, which, while not the best place for a podcast, because, you know, it's a video platform, and uh, there's no video for this audio, it is kind of nice to show us some support. It's always really cool to see how, like... Your likes on videos, uh, but also your subscriptions. It's how we get to be like, oh, there's this many people watching to our dumb little show. <laughs> um, aside from that, if you're on YouTube, there's a bunch of other kind of cool tools on there. There is a search bar, which allows you to search keywords uh, on all our episodes. So if you're looking for a movie we covered, you can search like the name of that movie and it might come up if we've done it. But the other big thing with YouTube is it's one of the two main places to communicate with us at. You can do that in the comment section of a specific video, or you can go over to Twitter, or X, I guess, at Beware the Board, and um, go to Bob. Maybe pray that he blesses you with his presence. Oh, God. Okay. I thought that one was going to get weird, but we're okay. <laughs> like Ben said, check us out on Twitter at Beware the Board. It's where we post updates about the show, information about the show. Basically, if there's anything you know about the show, it goes on our Twitter. On Mondays, I post a spoiler post for that Friday's episode, which is a hidden movie cover that you can reveal. So you can watch the movie before we do. So whatever you list episodes, you don't get any spoilers, and we're being vague about stuff. You kind of know what we're talking about. Then on Fridays or whatever day an episode goes live, I always post a link to the episode with maybe a meme. So if you ever missed an upload or one of those went up, there's always a link on our Twitter. Last thing, we do short form content over on TikTok, Apple Wear the Board, and on YouTube Shorts. So if you're into short form content and like the show, check us out there. Apple Wear the Board on TikTok and on YouTube Shorts. I think that's it, Ben. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>